My job title is I'm the Healthy Church's Development Mentor in the diocese. It's a title most people forget after 30 seconds. <laughs> and they introduce me as Tim Mitchell from the diocese. I'm going to test you in about half a minute to see if you can remember what my title is. I have the privilege of overseeing natural church development, these universal church principles in the lives of churches throughout the diocese, and also getting to see how churches are becoming healthier. And we've got a lot of churches that are growing and improving in their level of health uh, under what we call the eight essential qualities. Have you heard of the eight essential qualities? Did someone say no? Wait till I get back to head office. (laughs) Yeah, they are ways of looking at the health of the church, helpful ways so that leaders and supporters can gain an understanding of what's working really well and what's blessing people and areas that you might want to invest in uh, to see some change. I am a father of four children. I'm married to Norma. I have four adult sons, ranging from 21 to 30. And all of them love Jesus, which I think is amazing. I put it down to my wife, because I said to Josh, you can't take the credit for bringing up children who love Jesus and preaching good sermons. It's one or the other. You've got to choose. No <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I'm married, married to Norma, four adult children, and I think I have said to Josh and to one, other, one or two other leaders in the past, when they've kind of just aired an issue in the life of the church, I've said, well, what have you learnt from your home life and your family? Because much of the wisdom I've gained has been from being a dad. Uh, rather like the, the father who said, well, before he got married, he said... Uh, said to his fiancée, he said, you know what, I've got four principles for bringing up kids. A few years later, he said, I've got four kids, but no principles. <laughs> it is a challenge bringing children up, and it is a joy also. And I want to kind of focus in on, on really something that is a support to you who are focusing on, on your vision focus, draw near, And in particular, uh, making all things, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, which is really the the hanger on which I want to put all that I'm going to offer in a few moments' time. Some of you will know that uh, people who have to organise things turn to Eventbrite um, to, to... schedule things, and I was on the Eventbrite website not so long ago looking for some tips to make sure that I organised something correctly. And what I found was tips from people who'd done stuff that had gone wrong. So it was a case of this is what not to do. And one was by a lady called Marika Jagger. I don't know if she's related to the famous Mick. She serves as public relations officer at Plymouth University. She had to organise an event. um, And it turned out that the event was sold out. And she wrote this, and I quote, Hey, all the seats are filled. We're happy. A 
Of course, more people turned up on the night, but it was hell trying to fit everybody in. People get very upset quickly. It turned ugly, near a punch-up, as they vent their frustration on our staff and each other. Unquote. It was memorable for all the wrong reasons and very stressful. Now, when things go wrong in life, people have their own ways, their own coping strategies, which are many and varied, and I suppose they may dust themselves down, go again, seek to learn from what has gone wrong. They may perhaps blame people and scapegoat folk, They may turn to the bottle, they may turn to drugs, they may even try counselling. People have got different ways of coping with those challenging matters, those issues that have not worked out as they'd planned. But we as Christians have got different methods, haven't we? I think we have. I'm just looking to see if any of you have got, as a Christian, you've got a different way of coping with the vicissitudes of life. I'm going to give you an example from my own background. This is a cobbling together of of conversations my wife and I had over the years. And it's about the joys of having children. I would sometimes get home and I felt that I'd had a hard day ministering. Drinking tea, talking to people. And I'd, I'd say to my wife, I'd say, darling, what sort of a day have you had? And then she'd tell me, where do I begin? Your eldest son had a tantrum. Notice your. Your eldest son had a tantrum and he refused to get dressed. He didn't want to go to school. His brother was sulking because he couldn't find his Sonic the Hedgehog jumper. This is for those baby boomers like me. The younger ones, well, I'll tell you who Sonic the Hedgehog is later. Afterwards, the eldest son complained his legs were tired and he promptly sat down on the pavement outside Primark and he wouldn't budge. And to make matters worse, the vicar and his wife almost tripped over him on their way into the shop. They must think I'm a hopeless mother. Now, at that point, we Christians have got a way of dealing with it haven't we? Up it comes, one of our four verses that we've committed to memory, darling. And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God. Have you ever tried that, popped it out just at the right moment? (laughs) What kind of reaction would you get? Yeah, you would be in the doghouse, you'd be cooking your own tea for, for weeks on end. And I think that there, are, there is a problem with it, because if we're honest, we admit that there are two problems with these words by the Apostle Paul. They promise something we have trouble believing. Our text says, and we know that all things work together for good. Paul, how can you be so sure about that? Most of us are not as sure as Paul was. We hope all things work together for good. We believe they do. But do we really know for sure? 
that all things work together for good. They also, the second problem with this, is that they include things that we think ought to be left out. When Paul says all things work together for good, it seems too definite. All things. Do we know that to be true? Or do secretly we think some things work together for good? Are we sure that it is all things? And I think herein lies the problem in terms of understanding a stronghold in our lives. Secretly, we doubt that this is true, even though we read it and weigh it up carefully. We struggle with it. And so when we offer it to someone who's just experienced a life struggle or issue, it's inappropriate because it says all things. It's no good saying this one thing you've experienced will work together. Well, it won't work together because it's the one thing for good for those who love God. It's indivisible. It's the whole of life and all experiences together that God uses. And we tend to doubt that. We can offer it as balm to the soul when someone's faced a minor struggle. And they may say, well, what do you mean by good? Sickness is not good. Murder is not good. That's what I could have experienced. Divorce is not good. Suicide is not good. So the verse is sometimes misused by well-meaning Christians who throw it in the face of those who are suffering as if it could answer every question of life. Now, when it's misused in that way, it produces an effect opposite to that intended by Paul. So, as Josh asked me to preach on this subject, and in a sense to focus on the breaking down of barriers, of strongholds in our lives, I think there is a stronghold here. And it's our unbelief that God will, that all things work together for good. We struggle to believe it. And because we secretly doubt it, we tend not to include God in those struggles and challenges. I meet Christians sometimes who are going through challenges and very rarely do they say, well, actually, it is really drawing me close to God. My prayer life has improved immensely and and I find this so great. Usually the reaction is, I'm out of here. I can't talk to God about this at the moment. It's too painful. So which camp are you in? When you go through struggles, do you say, I can't talk to God about this. I can't, I can't bring it to him. Or do you find it draws you near, closer to him, and you talk to him about it? 
It's challenging, isn't it? It's challenging. Because if we think, well, the really tough stuff, the gritty stuff of life, is not the stuff I really want to worry God about. God is with us on the mountaintops and those amazing experiences we have, like we've had in, in our sung worship. He's with me then. He's with me when I receive prayer, when I read the scriptures. But actually the tough stuff. I don't want to sully God's reputation by thinking he's involved in that. But the reality for those of us who seek to walk with him is he wants to be involved in the whole of life. And it causes Grief in the heart of God when we walk away and say we will deal with the tough stuff. We will sort it out. In fact, at the heart of it is sin. When we consider that God isn't involved in all things and that together all things work for good, essentially it's the sin of idolatry. We're saying, I, I can sort this. I will use my resources, my skills, my expertise. And of course we find this in one another. And when we do, it's good to call it out, but very gently. That's my advice, top tip. If you find a bit of idolatry in your brother or sister, call it out, but very gently. Top tip for today there, Josh. I found it in a colleague, actually, a a minister in a rural parish. She explained to me in a conversation that she was really finding this parish difficult. The PCC was awkward, and I could confirm that to her. They were awkward. It was full of EGR people, extra grace required. She, she found them really difficult. There was lots of bickering. They didn't get on. In the village, there was problems between the village and the church because the churchyard, I think there was some hedges or something. Things were growing and affecting a neighbor's property. There were problems with the worship. People didn't like the worship style, the format, the relationship with the neighbouring parish. And as it all came tumbling out, and, and she tried all sorts of things, but what I was getting was that she really believed she could sort these issues out herself. And I thought, who's convinced you you can do this on your own? So I asked her, I said, have you, have you walked around the village praying, seeking God to come and break in? No, no, I've not thought of that. Have you read Russ Parker's book, Healing Wounded History? This is spiritual. You're involved in a spiritual enterprise within the kingdom of God. In my mind was, who's convinced you that you could work this out and solve it yourself? 
So shall I tell you what she did? Shall I tell you what she did? Yeah, yeah, okay, okay, great, great. What she did was with a colleague, with a lay reader, they started prayer walking around the village. And one particular time, they were led to go up to a house, knock on the door, and talk to the occupant. And the person living there was really quite anti-church. But the vicar started to explain what her heart and passion was for the village what she longed to see in the village, and what she longed for the church to be, to be a symbol of good news in the village. And the person she spoke to visibly softened, and barriers came down. And the vicar felt so encouraged that by prayer walking and involving God, she was beginning to see transformation in that village. And that transformation is ongoing. Don't you think that's good news? About five of you, Josh, think it's good news. Don't you think it's good news? It is exciting when people involve God, even in the stuff that they think is difficult, it's unpleasant, I can deal with it. When you involve God, you break down the stronghold in your life which is self-sufficiency, that you can sort it out. But of course, that's a nice way for saying idolatry. The key, of course, to this, to involving God in the challenging aspects of life, is confession. I'm going to quote 1662. Does anyone know what's special about 1662? I'll tell you, the Book of Common Prayer was published. It's that book full of these thousand vouchsafes that your grandparents would read. There is the confession that says we've followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. Do you ever confess that even if you don't use such flowery words? I've followed too much the devices and desires of my own heart. Just as that vicar wanted to solve it herself. I personally find that I like to solve things myself when things go wrong. And think, God, I don't want to worry you with this one. I think I can do it. I may not even put it like that. I'll just get on with it. But what about you? Do you do the same? Do you try to sort out all life's problems? Or do you say, God... Have mercy on me, a sinner. Come, I need you in this situation. A few years ago, I was uh, taking a PCC meeting and um, the treasurer piped up and he said, Tim, he mentioned this person's name, so-and-so is not very happy. They're seriously thinking of leaving the church. And do you know how much they give? I said, stop right there. I don't want to know how much they give. Because do you want them to have a double vote? Do you want them through their giving to gain favour and influence over everyone else? Because they are giving more. I made it my policy never to find out how much people were giving. Contrast that 
control freakery with an elderly member of our church who said to me now and again, he said, Tim, he said, what are the needs in our church? Who's in need? What are the needs in our community? I'd like to be able to give to those in need. When we organise trips to Soul Survivor, he would say, Tim, who can't afford to go? How many places can I buy for you so that everyone who wants to go gets to go? And he said, Tim, I don't want anyone knowing where the money comes from. Contrast that. It's different spirit, different mustard. He was the most godly man, member of my congregation. But of course... For those of us who have a tendency just to be self-sufficient and to deal with the stuff of life ourselves, resolving it begins with confession. I've followed too much the devices and desires of my own heart. Of course, this is picked up in the book of Exodus. And the horns placed on the altar in Jerusalem... The horns apparently were held by fugitives, people who wanted to claim refuge from other nations, from worshipping other gods, wanting to deal with their idolatrous hearts, would hold on to the horns and claim mercy. If you've followed too much the devices of your own hearts and you've got into control freakery, trying to manipulate and control others. The answer is confession, holding the horns of the altar and saying, God, have mercy on me, forgive me. Help me to see that you are involved in the whole of life and all these things together work for good. Are you receiving what I'm saying? You're looking a bit pensive. I'm beginning to wonder whether I should finish in the next 10 seconds. But I'm not going to. I'm going to carry on for a bit longer. The Bible never asks us to pretend that tragedy isn't tragedy or pain isn't pain. The point is we must see the active involvement of God using the pain and the struggles to create something beautiful. God is actively at work in your life. What then is he saying? He is, in a sense, raising a sign over your life about the unexplainable mysteries of life, the things you can't fathom or understand. And it says, quiet, God is at work. even though we may not be sure. But of course, we understand this verse better when we define the word good. Because the crux of the matter is that all things work together for good. But what is the good that he's talking about? For most of us, good equals things like health, happiness, solid relationships... Manchester United winning the Premiership. 
long life, money, food on the table, meaningful work, a nice place to live. In general, we read that verse and the word good is loaded with what we think is good about life. A better set of circumstances. But once again, that's not necessarily the biblical viewpoint. In this case, we don't have to wonder what Paul means because he defines good for us. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. The good is being conformed to the likeness of his Son. All things work together. God is in them all to create and transform you into the likeness of Jesus. Is that a truth you're embracing today? Or do you find you want to gain, get, a bit of, get into a bit of control freakery and sort it out yourself? need you to be honest because breaking down a stronghold I think begins with confession and saying I want to see the whole of my life as grist to the mill as God transforms me into the image of his son is that what you long to see Three people nodding, Josh. Fantastic. It's a pensive congregation. That's what I want to see in my life. Uh, I suppose some would say that uh, my past in terms of ministry before I joined the diocese, I was a bit, I had a kind of reputation for being a social entrepreneur. I tended to have ideas that gathered lots of people together. Crowds, I've had no trouble gathering them together. I think transforming them into the image of Christ was the hard bit. But in my previous um, ministry, we did all sorts of entrepreneurial things. We, we ca- had things like Sutton's Got Talent. And we, I found someone wealthy enough to put up, to stump up 500 quid for prize money. And a lot of the schools entered this talent contest. And what we found among, in the talent contest was that quite often those who thought they'd got talent seemed to have quite little and vice versa. And also we found that the judges weren't very good at being honest because they used the word brilliant too often. I did have to have a word with them at half time and say, look, please don't say every act is brilliant because then I'll have to explain why they've not walked away with 100 quid at the end of the night. We would put on all sorts of things. And it got to the point when my, one of my church wardens at the end of about two years, she put her head in her hands and she said, Tim, can't we have a bit of normality? I said, no, because we're on a journey. But with my particular kind of gifts, I suppose, there's a temptation to use people to do it myself. The whole of life, I would say, was more, in some ways, about me 
performing and using my gifts and offering them to God in that way are not enough about saying, God, what's going to transform people into the image of your son? Because that's what it's about. Doing things that help people become the image of Christ. So even where we're strong, we may not involve God as much as we ought to. We may think, actually, you've given me these gifts. I know how to use them. I'm going to get on and do it. So it's not just the negative stuff of life. Now, of course, it is the providence of God in his providence that we learn more in the darkness than we do in the light. We gain more from sickness than we do from health. We pray more. We ought to pray more when we're scared than when we're confident. But perhaps we should be praying in both situations. I'd say it's fair to say, though, that the challenges of life are the ones where we learn the most. A Methodist minister of mine who retired a year or two ago said to me, he said, Tim, he said, I see my role as a minister as bringing order out of chaos and creating chaos out of order. The difficulty I've had is knowing which to do when. But it's often in the chaos of life that we can encounter God and be transformed into the image of his son if we see that God is using that for his purposes. Someone put it this way, I walked a mile with pleasure. She chattered all the way, but I was none the wiser for all she had to say. Then I walked a mile with sorrow And ne'er a word said she, but oh, the lessons I did learn when sorrow walked with me. God is at work in the tough, challenging aspects of your life. He's at work shaping you, transforming you from the rough and the uncut into the beautiful image of Christ. He challenges us in our dualistic thinking and says, I want to take the whole of your life. I want you to submit the whole of your life and be obedient in submission to me that I may use everything, every circumstance so that the image of Jesus might be seen in you. Then the stronghold of idolatry comes tumbling down. We become more beautiful, transformed, ready for our Saviour. Is that your desire this morning?